0: Before we start this episode, we wanted to let you know that today's topic deals with depression and suicide. While we believe this episode contains helpful information for our listeners, we understand it may not be suitable for everyone. From St. Mary's University of Minnesota, you're listening to St. Mary's Currents. I'm your host, Ben Rogers.
1: And now, Miss USA 2019 is North Carolina.
0: Last month, news broke about the tragic suicide of former Miss USA Chesley Crist.
1: Heartbreak for former Miss USA Chesley Crist after she died by suicide early Sunday morning in Manhattan. Now to another tragedy in New York. Former Miss USA Chesley Christ was found dead after police say she jumped from a high-rise building. She was just 30 years old, and she was a correspondent for the entertainment show Extra.
0: As news of her death made headlines, her mother shared that Christ had suffered from depression and was able to hide it from her friends, family, and the public. Approximately 17.3 million American adults will suffer from a major depressive episode in a given year, according to the National Institute of Mental Health. According to the CDC, in 2019, suicide was responsible for more than 47,500 deaths, which is about one death every 11 minutes.
1: The Centers for Disease Control published a study this week showing suicide rates in the U.S. are on the rise in almost every state. The rise in suicides was also seen across all races, ages, genders, and ethnicities.
0: Seeing this story, we wanted to use our platform to discuss the topics of depression and suicide and offer advice and resources. Today, I'm joined by Anne Schissel, who is a core assistant professor in the Doctor of Psychology and Counseling program here at St. Mary's. Anne, thank you so much for joining us for an important topic today, mental health. Before we begin, could you tell us a bit about yourself, your background, and your academic interests?
1: Yes. Uh, So I am a licensed psychologist. I went to graduate school here in Minnesota, uh, the University of Minnesota, and I received my doctorate in clinical psychology. After I graduated, I spent several years working as a practitioner primarily. So I worked uh, at Hazelden Betty Ford Foundation for a number of years focusing on addiction at various levels of care. So inpatient, outpatient, uh, et cetera. Um, I also taught at Hazelden's Graduate School. I've taught at St. Kate's and I taught at the University of Minnesota. And I came to the faculty at St. Mary's in our PsyD program in May of 2020. And I've been here since. I teach primarily things around psychopathology and assessment. Those are kind of my big topic areas for teaching.
0: All right. Uh, so in the last few years, we've had a number of public figures and celebrities die by suicide. The most recent one, of course, as I mentioned in our intro, is former Miss USA Chesley Christ. Robin Williams and Anthony Bourdain also come to mind. As someone who works in the field of mental health, when tragic incidents like this occur, do you see enough conversations come forward about depression and mental health? Or does it seem like we tend to focus more on the incident itself or the person and their celebrity status?
1: I think it does, but only briefly. It seems like there are those brief moments of conversation around suicide and depression that come up in the wake of a death like that. Um, But it does seem to quiet down relatively quickly. Um, It seems like just Practically speaking, working with clients, when you do have folks who are depressed and suicidal, they do sometimes, um, there is kind of this sense of connection there where they do identify the incident as an important thing and, and they will talk about it. Robin Williams' suicide, I think, specifically hit a lot of people and I remember a lot of folks talking about that at length. Um, I mean, the interesting thing is, you know, those are kind of the the real-world experiences of celebrities who's pass, who pass from suicide. Um, but then there's also the phenomenon around, like, fiction. And 13 Reasons Why, if you remember when that show—I believe that was a net show I do, up. yes. Yeah. There actually was um, a documented increase in adolescent suicidal behavior after that um, fictional show came out. So— not only does the conversation increase briefly, but sometimes it increases in a way that isn't necessarily terribly helpful.
0: Yeah. That incident that you mentioned there with 13 Reasons Why, that's extremely tragic. And I remember when that came out, I was actually working in TV news. And I remember we did a few stories on that because it was, you know, such a big deal. It
1: seemed like they tended to, and I never saw the show, so I shouldn't speak too much about that because I never watched it. But From what it sounded like, there was almost a glorification of it there. But when we hear these real-life instances, it seems like there's more a move towards kind of the pain and sadness of the experience. So I don't know if that makes it different. or
0: Absolutely. So, um, after Chesley Christ's death, uh, you know, her mother came out and spoke about how she was able to hide her depression from others. Uh, this is something I tend to see when someone in the public eye dies by suicide. Uh, one of the big ones I think back to is Anthony Bourdain, uh, you know, where people would say, oh, you know, he had the greatest job in the world. Uh, Why do you think there's a tendency to do this and not necessarily think that people uh, who are celebrities or successful or who we see as strong individuals might struggle like that? Mm
1: -hmm. People who are very highly functional— Um, and, And really advanced in their careers like Anthony Bourdain, oftentimes there are certain personality characteristics that people who excel have. Perfectionism is one of the big ones that comes to mind, that there is kind of like they have this drive to do things really well in a really sophisticated way. And on the surface, certain concepts like perfectionism don't feel like they should be related to depression and suicide. We tend to correspond those things with success. But those same personality characteristics that can really drive someone to do well can actually also be really harmful to a person's mental health. So the more perfectionistic a person is, that goes along with something we call cognitive rigidity, where there's kind of only one way to do it right. either right or it's wrong. And if I'm not perfect, if I'm not doing everything at 100%, if I'm not solid, amazing all the time, then I'm kind of, I'm garbage. And that either or thinking is really common in people who do very well. If they haven't failed a lot in their lives, they haven't necessarily developed the skills of failing and integrating that information into their lives and making changes. And so some of those characteristics are the same. They make people successful, but they can also be a double-edged sword and they can be harmful, I guess, in the same breath. In terms of the hiding it, I think there is still a sense of stigma around it. I don't think people want to talk about it, particularly when they're feeling suicidal. I think people are starting to get more comfortable talking about depression more so like oh i've had a really hard few weeks i'm feeling really down depressed you know your friends can probably understand that and try to prop you up and talk to you and you know all of those things the topic of suicide tends to scare people and tends to overwhelm people and so even if somebody acknowledges maybe they're having a hard time it's oftentimes harder for them to say it's gotten to the point where i'm thinking about ending my life
0: We'll be right back in a minute. Separate yourself from the rest and take your career to the next level with an online degree from St. Mary's University of Minnesota. Nationally ranked and fully accredited, our programs are student-centered with faculty that infuse practical career experience into their teaching and engage in their disciplines. Set your own schedule with our flexible online platform and access your coursework anywhere. With our selection of affordable online degree programs, promising career opportunities will follow. Explore what's next at St. Mary's University of Minnesota. You know, I really want this episode also to offer advice and resources to our listeners. So I want to ask, how do we identify depression in ourselves and others? Well,
1: depression when a lot of people think of depression, they think of sadness, right? So there is there is a sadness component to depression, but it's much more than that. It's it's a much larger syndrome. And so when we talk about depression, we talk about people feeling depressed all day, every day for at least weeks on end. They also tend to lose interest and not enjoy things the way they used to. So there's kind of this flat piece I should also say some people don't report feeling depressed per se or sad, but they just feel really empty, almost like a phrase that some people use is like dead inside, almost just like there's nothing going on internally for them. So you can feel depressed or kind of that sense of emptiness as well. And then the other symptoms that go along with it are changes to your appetite and weight. So some people eat more than usual and gain a lot of weight. Some people eat less than usual and lose a lot of weight. Um, Difficulties with sleep, sleeping too much or sleeping too little, Really low self-esteem, spending a lot of time just really being critical about yourself, thinking about how bad you did something or how you failed a test or whatever. Just that constant rumination, telling yourself that you're really bad. Um, Thoughts of suicide are another piece. Those are a lot of the big ones in terms of the symptoms that people report when they're experiencing what we would call a major depressive episode.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So after identifying those signs of depression or anxiety, at what point does someone want to seek help?
1: When it becomes something where they are really bothered by it or it's starting to cause problems in their lives. Distress and impairment are kind of the two big words that we use diagnostically. So are you really distressed and upset by what's going on? Um, or is this causing problems in your daily lives? Like, are you sleeping through class because you can't get yourself out of bed in the morning? Have you not been able to eat in a few days so you've noticed your concentration is really low and you can't focus and study for your test? Those are really good metrics. If If things in your life are not going the way they should be because of those symptoms, that's a really big sign that a person needs to talk to somebody. And anytime suicidal thoughts come up, regardless of how many of those other symptoms may be present or not, suicide is also always a reason to start talking to somebody.
0: Absolutely. So say you notice a friend or a loved one is different and you think they might be struggling with depression or another mental health issue. What is an appropriate way to approach that?
1: I would simply Reflect back what you're observing and say, I've noticed that it seems like you're struggling because of X, Y, and Z, right? Whatever it is that you're picking up on. And to just see if the person needs anything from you. I noticed that you're having a hard time and are there things that I can do to help you? Um, You can also connect them with counseling services or support for them in their area.
0: All right. So when I was doing research for this episode, I came across an article that spoke about why language matters when we talk about suicide and issues of mental health. Uh, One thing it talked about was trauma-informed language. Uh, Can you talk a bit about what that is and why it's important to rethink how we talk about suicide and other mental health issues?
1: This is a tricky point because a lot of people based on their experiences and trauma may actually gravitate towards different phrases and terms. And so, um, when I've tried to narrow down always like the right terms for things, sometimes there isn't a a right term and, and that, and what might be a right term today may change. Um, I think trying to use the most sensitive language possible, first of all, so, um, a lot of times people talk about, use the term killing oneself. That's really not a term that we try to gravitate towards. Usually um, the term that I have come to settle on that seems to be the softest and yet conveys the information is ending one's life. And there are different things like committing suicide or completed suicide. That was a term people used a lot before, like a, a completed versus a failed suicide attempt. And those terms they conveyed a different attitude, like that the completed suicide was the success. And if you survived, that was a failed experience. So people moved away from those terms. I think the thing is, we don't want to convey that actually dying through suicide is some sort of success.
0: Right. So personally, I'm noting more and more people seem to be talking about mental health. I know in my circles, uh, with friends and family, there's an openness to discuss mental health. However, I recognize that this hasn't always been the case, and it, it still isn't for a lot of people. As someone who works in the field of mental health, do you feel there's a stigma attached to the issue? Or do you think it's becoming more acceptable to discuss?
1: I definitely think there are still stigma associated with these issues. I think it's lessening, but then there's also this issue of um, groups and different groups. Like it's more common for women to seek therapy to really talk about their emotional experiences than it is for men. So there's already that, that gender divide, for instance. And then how different people from different racial or ethnic groups talk about suicide and mental health in general also varies. There's a fair amount of research around how People talk about their distress or idioms of distress that, that are used in, in those conversations. Um, and different groups have higher or lower rates of stigma overall based on the literature. And so while I think largely speaking socially from, you know, kind of a meta lens, there is a move towards more acceptance and more communication about mental health concerns, there are still some people who belong to groups for which the stigma seems higher.
0: Okay. So uh, how do we go about changing that? Like what are steps that we as a society can kind of do to, like you said, there is some openness, but also there's some groups that still that is very much a stigma. So what do we do to try to soften that and remove that barrier?
1: People who work in community mental health centers do a lot of really wonderful work and education on on these topics and trying to bring it out there to to discuss the nature of mental health, when to seek treatment, when to um, be concerned about your loved ones, and and people like that. I think podcasts like this are also helpful, too, just in terms of starting to talk about it more and giving people an opportunity to listen to it a little bit more. Um, As I was saying before, with like the 13 Reasons Why, we want to make sure that we're presenting information that's healthy and helpful um, and making sure that we're not uh, somehow inadvertently glamorizing certain behaviors either. So that is, that is a piece of it as well. Um, but I think accessibility, accessibility of information is really helpful. I remember I was Googling something with suicide because I was putting together a presentation. And the first thing that came up was suicide hotlines. Like, if you're thinking about ending your life, please call. It was a really nice thing that that's how Google responds to you Googling suicide.
0: Right. I noticed that as well while I was, <laughs> while I was yeah. researching uh, for this podcast. So for people who are struggling, be it depression or it's, you know, getting to a point where you know suicide is a concern, what steps do they want to take for finding resources?
1: There are suicide hotlines that are available that are wonderful places to start that can give you some basic information and have some introductory conversations about suicide with a person, either a loved one or a person, him or her or themselves, who's thinking about ending their lives. And then I would say there are mental health clinicians within every community that I would refer to after that. There are clinicians and organizations that have sliding scale fees so as to make therapy as accessible for people as possible. And so all communities really have some of those basic resources, and that's where I would recommend people start.
0: We talked a little bit about your academic background. You have a lot of experience and have studied on the topic of suicide and have also worked in a number of different positions where that's been a focus. What made you want to make that a part of your work?
1: It's funny because... As I started my career in psychology as an undergrad, I started volunteering at a um, suicide prevention hotline. And then when I moved to the Twin Cities, I continued that work. So before I ever went to graduate school, I had logged hundreds of hours of suicide hotline work and just having these conversations with people. And I came to really like the work because people who are in that acute state of distress, the ability to connect with them and de-escalate with them was something that was tremendously rewarding. And when you do so much of that, you get much more comfortable having those conversations around suicide. And I started to see as I got past graduate school into my early career that a lot of other clinicians were not comfortable having those conversations. And so I grew to be really passionate about not only working with clients who are suicidal, but also working with clinicians who don't yet have that confidence and competence to feel like they can do that work. A lot of people seem to have this belief that if I bring suicide up, if I I notice my friends really struggling and I ask them if they're having a hard time and I ask and I open up that conversation, almost like I'll give them the idea to commit suicide. And that's not how it works. You're not going to implant the idea by asking if you're concerned. So it's okay to have these conversations. It's okay to talk about suicide. It's not something we have to be afraid of talking about.
0: Well, Anne, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Sure, I'm happy to be here.
0: St. Mary's Currents is a production of the St. Mary's University of Minnesota Office of Marketing and Communication. It is produced by Ben Rogers and Deb Nairgang. It is recorded, edited, and engineered by Jeffrey DeMarsh. Our theme music is written by Will van de Kromert. I'm Ben Rogers. We'll see you next time for St. Mary's Currents.